morning, church. My name is Matt Angelvel. I had the unique opportunity to go back to two church plantings in the Middle East last a couple of weeks back. Plantings that I was once privileged to be a part of. The first one was in 1990 on the Amman Jordan mission team. And the second in 1999 with my wife Sandy and I and a sister from India, we were able to start the church in Kuwait. The visit to Jordan was compounded by the untimely passing of Maher al-Hin, the leader of the Middle East churches, back in December 2013. He died in a horrific auto accident in the car with three other people. It has been truly amazing to see what God has done with the 19-year-old zealot I first met in Amman back in 1990, and how God molded him to become a great leader of our churches in the Middle East. Maher continued to serve in Jordan, Egypt, and Iraq, and raised up leaders in a number of churches. In addition, his extended family forms the nucleus of the church in Amman, so that loss was felt very personally. The Amman church leader, Sami Sakakini, and his wife, Fadia, who is Maher's sister, along with Maher's wife, Summer, were involved in the accident at the time of our, and at the time of our visit, were still recovering physically, mentally and emotionally. Ever since I heard about his passing, there was a longing in my heart, as Paul longed to be with the Thessalonians, to be with them and comfort them in their time of need. Douglas also felt moved to visit and encourage the church, and funded by his ministry, which is a credit to the North River congregation, who support it, we were both able to make the trip. Douglas was in Oman and the Emirates before we met up in Jordan. My first stop was Kuwait, a church planting that we were a part of for seven years. Both our children were under three years old when we moved to Kuwait in 1999. So they spent their formative years there. Less than half the population in Kuwait is comprised of natives, while the rest are expatriates from third world countries who are employed in the service industries across this oil-rich nation. In the past few weeks, we have seen racial incidents in the U.S. gain media coverage. Yet in many countries in the Middle East, our brothers and sisters, especially those who are foreigners, are subjected to blatant racism on an almost daily basis. After having lived stateside for almost eight years and visiting the Middle East, it was a shock to see discrimination practiced so blatantly. But it, was brought, but it has brought a newfound admiration for the perseverance of the brothers and sisters. With this in mind, I challenge the church to remember who is in control and to live by the Spirit. After worship and lunch, I got together with the preteen teen parents to share some of the parenting lessons we were learning in North River. The planned one-hour session turned into a three-and-a-half-hour session as I tried to answer all their questions. Far more painful was the angst felt by the parents about the lack of a mature youth and family ministry framework to help their kids spiritually. In the absence of strong peer relationships, Christian camps, mentors, preteen teen activities, they're forced to rely on parenting books or connect with disciples in other countries to get the help they need. Since then, we have started a group email discussion where we are able to discuss pressing issues. We are also able to upload material to help them with specific situations. Next, Douglas and I flew into Amman 
It was an emotional reconnection that stirred in my heart what Jesus felt when he saw all those who were mourning the passing of Lazarus. We read about this in John 11. I spent a good deal of time with Sammy, who is now leading the church in Amman. He's still recovering from the December accident and has undergone multiple surgeries. Sammy, as many will remember, was the brother who started the church in Baghdad, Iraq, and was imprisoned for his faith. He, along with his brother, another brother, Nizar, scrawled scriptures with a chicken bone on the prison walls to remind themselves of their faith. He later moved with his family to lead the church in Alexandria, Egypt, only to be deported. Sammy has since started an internet ministry, creating chat rooms where Muslims can learn about the Christian faith. While he maintained anonymity through this process, he was risking his life by sharing his faith with Muslims. By sheer hard work and perseverance over three years, he was able to see seven Muslims baptized into Christ. These brothers and sisters live in an undisclosed town, which is a hotbed for Islamic fundamentalist activity. In addition, he was able to teach Muslims about Christ in an other undisclosed nation, and then he flew to a neutral country in order to baptize them. I came to encourage the church in Amman, but I was blown away by their faith and resilience in their time of adversity. I came away encouraged, convicted, inspired, and yes, thankful. Hearing the cry for help from the preteen teen parents made me realize how blessed we are to have great youth and family ministries in our congregations with mature relationships at multiple levels to help our children learn to love God. Our daughter was baptized last November, and we are grateful for all the help and prayers we received from many. I was grateful for the religious freedoms we enjoy here in the U.S., yet even more inspired by the faith of our new brothers and sisters who have to really count the cost when they decide to follow Jesus. My challenge to all those who are here right now, take a week or two, visit a third world church, a church that could benefit from your encouragement, teaching, or maybe even with just your, your presence, or join Douglas as he travels to some of these nations so you can learn how he ministers to these disciples. We in the U.S. need to get a perspective on the dangers, toils, and snares faced by our brothers and sisters in other nations. Believe me, our lives and our Christian walks will be different because of it. I'm grateful for the International Teaching Ministry for the opportunity afforded to visit the churches in Kuwait and Amman and to renew my pers perspectives on discipleship around the world. And now Douglas, inspired by his visit to the Middle East, will preach the word calling us to the same discipleship, his tideless message from the mountains. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> Matt, that was extremely encouraging. And in the inspiration of the time in the Middle East, let me just show you where we were. If you'll look at the map here, here's, this is Arabia, the Arabian Peninsula. And this is Jordan, where our brother Maher Alhin was killed in a car accident, which really changed everything. Uh, down, uh, see Saudi Arabia? Okay, here's Kuwait, where Matt and Sandy lived for seven years. I came in to Dubai, in the Emirates, and then I was in Abu Dhabi, 
to buy a Muscat and then back to Amman, and Matt and I met in Amman. But keep that in mind because a lot of what I'm sharing, even my illustrations, are inspired by the Middle East. It is an incredible honor, an exciting uh, experience to be on a mission team. Uh, for Matt to be on the Jordan planting, for me to go to London, for a number of you to be on mission plantings, that's great. It's not the only way to serve God. It's maybe more glorious than, less, uh, than some more subtle ways. But it is a wonderful um, opportunity. And yes, they've been going through many changes and it's been a painful time. So we wanted to be there and not only give them your love, but by being there, show them we think you're important, uh, that God sees you, and we are connected. We are one family. So I wanted to share today a message from the mountain. I actually did this uh, in the Middle East on two different Sundays. The first Sunday was my Friday in Muscat. You say, how, what do you mean your Friday was, Sunday was the Friday? Because that's the day they meet, because it's the Islamic world. And uh, then on Sunday, I was in Jordan, where they actually do meet on Sunday. That's also Islamic, but it's, it's more mixed. So I got to do the message again. So it's actually my third time to share this. I'm very, ex very lazy. No, I'm very excited about it. Um, I, I, I truly am. What to say? Message from the mountain. I'm filled up with all kinds of things. I know I have to restrain myself here because uh, to respect your time. But the mountain is uh, Mount Sinai, uh, a mountain which, according to the Apostle Paul, according to Paul, is in Arabia, but in popular tradition is in the Sinai, which is Egypt. But uh, I go with the Apostle Paul. I think he's probably right. Okay, here's the setting. We have Jordan. We have Jordan. We have Moses going up the mountain. And God is giving a message. Now, I'm trapped in this world. I have all this stuff in my head. Plus, I'm not feeling 100%, so sometimes the things get muddled. We had a teaching night in North River a few years ago and uh, did a lot of stuff from Exodus. And I want to make a, this into a book. And so all the lessons I did in the Middle East were from Exodus. And it's so big. I mean, even doing the book, I have to be selective. There's just too much material. Okay. So Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, that's Sinai, Horeb, same place. And he said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. And what he's about to share is significant. There's a bit of a drum roll here. I mean, think of Jesus giving those significant words to the disciples in Galilee on the mountain they had prearranged to rendezvous at, Matthew 28, or Jesus on the mountain of, at Bethany on the Mount of Olives, Luke 24, he gives them their commission. Well, there's a commission that's about to be given here in the Old Testament, and even though it's 3,000 years ago, it still applies to us in more ways than you may realize, because though we may not be Jewish, according to Paul, according to John the Baptist, according to Jesus, we are Abraham's children. What is it that is so important that he's going to tell them from the mountain? This is our text, Exodus 19, verses 3 to 8. And this is where I would really appreciate you focusing on uh, the next few minutes or so. 
Well, let's go to verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God carries us on eagles' wings. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, he says, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, the whole earth, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. This is a commission. This is what it was all about. The primary commission was not to war. It was not to decimate the Canaanites. Their mission was not to work hard so they could be blessed materially. Their mission, their commission, was to be a light to the nations, to be a priesthood. Priests bring God to the world. They bring the world to God. And although Israelites had a tribe of priests, stepping back, look at the big picture, all of Israel were meant to be a priesthood. That is a radical idea and a beautiful idea. So we, uh, so I, I, I talked about this everywhere I went. I think it went well. And what was so fun, uh, not just in Jordan, Kuwait, uh, the United Arab Emirates, but Oman, is how seriously people are taking this commission. And I can't tell you, it's, it's just a different world. Uh, we were in, I mean, in the Emirates. That uh, night we flew into Dubai and out of Dubai. In the Emirates and in Oman, you can't use Facebook. You can't use Skype. You can't, I mean, you can't use, there's certain things that are just blocked. They're blocked by the government. There's surveillance. There's restriction. Islam is everywhere. Uh, in Oman, I was, I was out at a restaurant with a man and his wife who give direction to the church in, in the, the capital city of Muscat. And I was facing the wall. So when I go into a restaurant, I'm very aware of my position in the room. And so I will typically, unless I'm alone, I face the wall, then the other person gets a great view. So I didn't really see what was happening there. But the woman was totally shocked because there were two women who walked into the restaurant who were smoking. You say, whoa. They were doing the the water pipe, the shisha. And I, I can't tell you how these South Asians were completely shocked, women smoking. Look, just across the border in Saudi, it's still very difficult to drive. If you're a woman, you'll get harassed by the police. Women aren't allowed to go to university, although they did start one for women only. Only 30% of women are even literate because they're not supposed to be educated. I was, I was in an airport. I will never forget this. I was sitting down about to board, but I was minding my business. A man walks in with his two wives. You know, they, they're allowed to have four. But he only had two. As a, as a state, it's a kind of a marker of wealth and prestige. A poor man probably just has one, but if you have four, you know. He had two. Now, in the Middle East, often the man will be dressed in white and the woman in black. And there's the veil, but this wasn't just the veil or the veil with the slit there. You know, the slit, this, this was completely black. And they were in the airport lounge, they were trying to drink tea. Well, this was quite problematic because they had to lift up their veil slightly to get the teacup under the black cloth, but they wouldn't want anyone else to see their face, even the lips. 
and not me. So I had to kind of look away to be modest so that I wouldn't accidentally see part of their face while they were drinking tea. How would your sisters like to be in that world? It is a different world. And this just makes me respect my brothers and sisters even more, and especially those from the Muslim background. Okay, well, let's, let's carry on here. Um, what am I going to say? Nah, nah, nah. Let's, let's just camp on the, on the text. He says, I carried you on eagle's wings. See that? This is our text anyway. Let's just look at it. God carries us on eagle's wings. Have you ever been in an airplane? And can you remember the first time you flew? Oh, come on. Don't be so nonchalant. It is an amazing experience. But God is carrying us through our Christian lives also on eagle's wings. This, this is cool. He is carrying us. We've been chosen by him out of the whole earth. We've been chosen by him. We're treasured. He says we're a treasured possession. God looks at us not the way the world looks at us, or we even look at ourselves sometimes. It's like I'm garbage. I'm not really worth much. Or I'm a worm, maybe in the negative sense of worm, to go back to the song lyrics. But we've been chosen by him. We're valuable, and God says so. He says, you're to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. From the beginning, from the book of Genesis, God tells Abraham that through your descendants, I am going to bless all the nations of the world. I don't think he's talking about the 194 United Nations nations. I think he's talking about the 12,000 people groups. He's talking about all ethnicities in the planet. God plans to bless them through his sons and daughters, or if you want to be nitpicky, Abraham's sons and Sarah's daughters, okay? But the children of faith have this, this, uh, this great commission to share. God's name will be great among the nations, it says in Malachi chapter 1. And this mission means that nationality cannot be a block between us. Uh, when I was in the Emirates, I was talking to a brother from the Ukraine. Well, the, the Ukraine and Russia have been having some problems, I think you know about this. But he's in regular contact, not only with the people back in Kiev and the Ukraine, but with the Russians. And they love each other. They communicate. They're trying to figure out the way forward. Because the world says divide. Divide by ethnicity. Divide by language. Divide by socioeconomics. God says, no, come together. In Christ, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. And that puts many of our brothers and sisters in a bind. Because the social forces are strong. And in some parts of our planet, those social forces could rip you apart. And that's why in so many places they have to be in underground churches. But this grand vision of all nations being blessed is not just in Genesis and Exodus or Malachi. It goes all the way through to the book of Revelation, the apocalypse, where you see this innumerable multitude. No one could count from every tribe and language and tongue. God has a vision of the entire world making it ultimately. And there's so many people who understand this. Suleiman Hin. Suleiman Hin was, uh, he, he's alive. Maher is the one who died. But Suleiman is, let's say, the most senior family member in many ways. He is in Cairo. This is a guy who was baptized in the United States, went back to the Middle East. No one told him to start a church. He just started sharing his faith, and people just started getting baptized. They just start because that's the way Christianity goes. It's very organic. 
uh, by word of mouth. And when I first heard of him a few years later, I already knew about this guy. I heard that there was a reconnection, a discovery, uh, and, and this, these family members and friends becoming Christians back in Jordan. He's just doing what he should do. And to think now, we've got churches in Jordan, overground, above ground, people from all kinds of backgrounds, including this, this intense focus on Muslims, which I really, I'm big on that, because it's almost uh, a quarter of the human population. And I take this seriously. I think you should too. I was so encouraged, and maybe I shouldn't name the nation, but Matt alluded to it. I didn't even know about our, our churches in Saudi Arabia, but in one of the Al-Qaeda countries, you've got brothers and sisters from in three different cities. Until this trip, until a few days ago, I had no idea that they were even preaching in that country. It's so dangerous. And not only have... Uh, all these people have been baptized, but they have friends who are lining up. You'd say, what, Muslims? Yes. In a place where they'll kill you if you convert? Yeah, or worse. When it's one thing to be killed. It's another thing to be tortured and tortured and tortured and killed, and then your family tormented. I am deeply inspired. Not, it doesn't have to be the Muslim world. I mean, I was in Alaska a few weeks ago. I'm inspired by them. Let me tell you why. They said uh, it's, it's a very uh, family feel. They don't do cold contact evangelism, which if anywhere in the United States you'd expect cold contact, it'd be in Alaska. But I, I was out with the, the preacher, we went to lunch, and he said, I just want you to know, we, we don't really do that. I think the way he put it is that we don't really do that very well. But it doesn't really matter. It's not going to change. It doesn't really matter because tons of people are becoming Christians. And when I was speaking there, it was a great crowd, people becoming Christians every week. These guys are on fire. So we, we want the structure and the plan, and you have to have the staff members to direct everything. It's very much, very uh, low, low tech. Uh, in fact, I mean, it's, it's so cool, because when people, when you don't tell them the exact plan, they do all kinds of things. So in Alaska, you see, uh, you, it's not just Alaskans you see and the odd Canadian, uh, some Canadians are odd. Um, I have a Canadian family. But Filipinos, you, you have people from these hot, steamy parts of Asia. They're in Alaska, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shivering away <laughs> and adjusting. <laughs> Even Vietnamese. I met Vietnamese up there. So then a few days later, I was in Nicaragua, where my brother lives. Now, this was very encouraging because the city I went to it was not the capital. It's a city where a brother named Andres Valencia was from. And he always wanted to go back there, even though it's a city. Is it a city if it's only 8,000? That's like a hamlet, you know, a piglet or something. I mean, it's really small. He goes back and just starts sharing with his friends and about 50 people baptized. An unofficial church, which to me was hilarious because in the capital city, Managua, they said, well, we're the church, and we count your stats in our church, but we want to we plant you eventually. We want you to be an official church because you don't have any staff. And I'm thinking, a church? Of course they're a church, and he's an evangelist. In fact, almost all the growth in Nicaragua is coming from that little village of 8,000, you see. No one told him to do it. He just did it. I, uh, this past week, I've been in Memphis and uh, Nashville and Asheville. In Asheville... Uh, John Porter, South, uh, South Florida. John Porter was 
telling us about a brother they figured had just quit. Uh, this brother uh, uh, from Bolivia, but he was out of the, the he was in the Porter's ministry, and uh, at, this is in Latin America, and he moved. He, he moved back to where he was from, and in our fellowship, there was no church there. So, and John, he, he was very humble. He says, so we just crossed him off the list. You know, it was like, like he had exited. You know, he's gone. And a few years later, the brother phones up John. He says, well, I've been here in Santa Cruz for a few years now, uh, baptized 50 people. We could use some direction. Would you, could you give us a little help? But you see, it's, it's almost backwards. It's almost like, no, he should teach me. You should be my mentor. Because when you don't tell people, when people just go and are Christians, all kinds of things happen. Oh, yeah. We put ourselves under so much pressure, though. I'll come back to that in a moment. Let me, let me just read this again. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. What am I reading? What am I reading? First Peter. Why did I do it? Because it's almost the same as that. What's the great apostle Peter saying? There's continuity. We have that same mission. We're representing God in the world. And that's another theme of First Peter. Uh, the world may look at you a bit funny. You may never fit in. You're always going to be foreigners. You're always going to be out of place. But you keep doing it anyway, even if it hurts. Very encouraging. I think we need to appreciate this biblical theme. Because the mission of the man or woman of God is to reveal God's name to the world. And when we feel and we know we're on eagle's wings, we know we are soaring. God is doing that for us. Then it's kind of natural to share. To realize who we represent. Get outside our comfort zone. Share with all kinds of people. Share with atheists and agnostics. Share with Buddhists and Hindus. They are like 20% of the world, you know. Share with Muslims. Share with Sikhs. Share with those from a Jewish background. Share with those who are wandering Christians. Share with big people and small people, tall people, even short people. Share with everyone. And if it's not comfortable, get comfortable, because God's vision is more expansive than yours and mine. He actually thinks anyone could make it even people who are very different from us. Be radical. Say, yeah, but I can't go on a mission team. I'm taking care of my aged father. Well, what should you do? Sometimes biblical principles collide. That is, yes, we're supposed to go. On the other hand, if you don't take care of your family, 1 Timothy says, you're worse than an unbeliever. So you kind of weigh them. I could go on the mission team and everyone would applaud when I share the good news, or I could end, I would be worse than an unbeliever, or I could stay home and, you know, I should probably stay home. Because sometimes God's will is not the path of glory now. There'll be glory later. But we seek honor, glory, and immortality sometimes in some very simple ways. And we've got to somehow get this out of our head. I was responding to a Q&A at my website last week. I guess it was last week. Um, it was this, maybe you've heard this, this phrase, if you're a real disciple, you have to be willing to uh, go anywhere and do anything and give up everything. And the, the question the brother had was, 
do you really have to be willing to go anywhere? I mean, if you're not willing to go anywhere, and, and he was sharing, he had a special needs child, then he was taking care of his father in his final years. He was absolutely not willing to go anywhere. He felt God wanted him right there. So what about that? I think we had to address that. So I don't want you to come away from this thinking, wow, mission, yes, I need to go here. Uh, sign me up for Riyadh or uh, Medina or how about Mecca, Mecca. Yeah, you go to Mecca and you can have a 30-minute ministry, okay? <laughs> Unless you, your rolling head can keep preaching while it's decapitated and going down the streets of Mecca. And that's, that's what would happen. It's illegal. It's illegal to, to preach. You don't have to do that. You don't even have to go to Central America. Uh, we can please God right here in Kennesaw or Marietta. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know. Look, you're telling me you're different than the guy who went back to Maupasillo in Nicaragua without being told, or the fellow who went to Santa Cruz de Bolivia? You're, coming, you're no different than him, unless you're trying to be something you're not. P- people will, will listen. I mean, this guy in Nicaragua. Nicaragua is a place of political unrest, uh, volcanoes, earthquakes, um, not so great nutrition, second poorest country in this hemisphere, but they're better than Haiti. Um, it's, it's, you think, wow, a lot of things against them. He goes back. He reaches out to his school friends. He talks to one guy he knew who was in prison. And this guy was in prison when he was 15. For what? Murder. He didn't do it. He was innocent. In jail for 15 years. Gets out in his 30s becomes a Christian. Someone who had been visiting him in prison, he really liked her. They got married. She's a Christian. And his friends are becoming Christian. So I'm in Nicaragua, and I'm saying, so how about you, brother? How long have you been around? And it wasn't uh, 18 years or 25 years or four years. It was more like three months. Uh, I was baptized last month. I was last year. This is all the, the fruit, you can say, a great harvest of someone who just was living as a Christian. I love it. You've got to love this stuff. We've got to appreciate this theme. And this happens when we realize that God has brought us to himself on eagle's wings. Be radical. Sometimes, though, you can only plant a seed. Yesterday, I was trying to rest my voice because I, I had spoken um, at Lipscomb University. I did three lessons at, at Memphis, University of Memphis yesterday. And my voice is going out. And I'm flying back last night. I'm thinking, I'll just rest it. I'll just kind of look forward on the airplane the guy next to me was not chatty. He wasn't that kind of a guy, the fellow that you're really hoping doesn't dominate your airplane flight. Some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I was being fairly, uh, I wouldn't say nonchalant with him because, you know, this could be a brother one day. But we're talking about this and that. And he got really intrigued. We got to the point where he was the one who it would get quiet and he would ask another question. And what about the archaeological evidence for the Bible? Oh, I could use some of my evidences. And what do you think about this? And have you ever been to that place, Douglas? Yes. And what about that? And at the end, it wasn't like, okay, quick, quick, uh, give me your phone, phone number so I can follow up with you. Because sometimes that's not the way to do it. Now, in this case, he actually said, how can I find you? Tell me your, your website. I'm going there. Let him do that. But some of us are trained that you've got to get the phone number. Do you know how weird that can be sometimes? 
when God only wants you to plant a seed, because God has many people in this city, he has many actual workers in, in this planet. Maybe you plant the seed. You answer a question. You, you say something that gets under his skin. Maybe, maybe you're better at watering, nurturing those relationships. God will give the growth. But I think we get in some weird places when we think we have to do it all in a single conversation. Okay, I'm going to go through all the studies and baptize you. You can get off at your stop seven minutes from now. And if not, somehow I've messed up. Oh, and here's my number, 770, and read Acts 238. Bye. And that can actually drive people away. We don't want them to think that we've got real issues. I guess that's why he's a Christian. He's obviously, you know, a little, a little off. We've got to trust God. Then we just let him work through us. Things will happen. For me, I think the highlight of this, uh, this trip, there's a fellow who, um, he was driving me uh, from Dubai to Abu Dhabi. He's a Muslim, especially eager for me to see the great white mosque of Sheikh Zayed. It's more gorgeous than the Taj Mahal. I've never been to such an impressive mosque. If it was based on architecture, I would become a Muslim tomorrow. I mean, this is an incredible mosque. He was very proud of it. But we were in the car for about two hours, and I, I told him what I did, and he asked me, funny, funny question this Muslim guy asked me. Uh, he lived in Saudi Arabia and uh, Pakistan, but he said, do you believe in, do you believe in gin? Not like gin and tonic, gin, like genie. And I said, so you mean like spirits and possession? He said, yeah, possession and exorcism. And I told him humbly, you know, I don't really have much experience. I can't rule it out. But we got into this amazing conversation. And I asked him if he was a Muslim, was he wholehearted? That's a fair question. He said, well, I'm uh, 70%. It was funny. He actually had a percentage. <laughs> I'm 70%. said, uh, 70%, okay. He um, said, when I was a boy, I was a Hafiz. I had memorized the entire Quran. You're a Hafiz if you do that. And I said, but now, he said, yeah, I don't keep, if you don't keep it up, you lose it. And I said, well, that's certainly right. I understand that part. But we have this this conversation. And he tells me, hey, I've got four brothers and three sisters. I said, hey, there's someone in the Bible with four brothers and at least three sisters. Who? I said, Jesus. Really? We started talking about the faith. We're interacting. I told him I've read the Quran a few times. It's one of my books. I'm studying the Hadith. I know a lot about the life of Muhammad. And I said, I would love you, Saeed, I would love you to come to church tonight. I'm speaking from Exodus. <laughs> and he said, I, would, I think I'm going to come. He came. He sat in the back. I'm pretty sure he was the only Muslim in the room. The only current Muslim in the room. And he, you could tell from his eyes he was doing a lot of thinking and I talked to him afterwards. He said, it was, it was like to the heart. I think that's the wording he used. It was to the heart. It was authentic. I, authentic. I wasn't expecting that. And it was very funny because even when we'd been driving to Abu Dhabi, and even back when we were returning to Dubai, he kept making wrong turns. 
He's a driver. He said, I got, he got so into our conversation, he wasn't paying any attention. We just kept going past our exit, you know what I mean? <laughs> this guy was into it. And so after the, after the program, after Exodus, we're going back, and he says, you know, I, I think maybe I should read the gospel, the Injil. I said, you should. I mean, I've, I've read the Quran. He said, well, what is it? I mean, what's the story? Where do you begin? Oh, that's a great question. And we talk. And when, when he, he drops me off, it's over. I come to give him a big hug. He was a little stiff, but, very, but friendly. And I took a bunch of photos. I have very long arms. Uh, I'm six foot seven from here to here, so I did a lot of selfies with him and me. And I saw him the next day. The next day, he came to my part of town. He wanted to say hello, and he wanted, he wanted to initiate a big hug. I'm glad he didn't kiss me, although that's pretty common in that part of the world. You know, I wasn't really ready for the kissing stage, but I think in our relationship, the hug stage is probably about right for now, okay? Do you think he's going to remember that conversation for the rest of his life? Do you think he's going to get baptized next month? You know what happens to me now and again? I meet someone who says, you don't know this, but you will have forgotten. You talked to me 20 years ago. And 10 years later, I met someone who knows you, and I studied the Bible, and now I'm your brother in Christ. Or, you know, we studied the Bible together back then. I wasn't ready, but now I am. I mean, I, I hear this, let me just say, frequently. Frequently, I hear people who, they've come around in this way. So maybe all you have to do is plant a seed. You certainly will act less strange. Now, you may be thinking, I'm too disconnected from people to be that involved in evangelism. You've heard of Skype. There are ways around it, even if it's blocked. I met a sister in Abu Dhabi. She, she was just radiating joy. Uh, she's a young Christian. I think it was just a month or so. And the church there have a lot of Filipinos who are not shivering in Alaska. They're in a much better uh, environment for them, Abu Dhabi, where it's hot. But she's there, and they're proud of her because they said she's Arab background. She was from Arab background, Lebanese, on fire. The next day, I'm in Dubai, and I learned the truth about her. They studied with her by Skype. They, they taught her the Bible through Skype. I met the one who studied with her who herself lives a couple hours away from Dubai, all by Skype. You may say, I'm not so good with people in person. I get that. It's not easy. Could you do Skype? Well, is that biblical? <laughs> is it biblical not to talk to someone? That, that's more my question. What a gift. The gospel is so powerful. I wanted to show you a picture. You see Saudi Arabia, see Iran, where I almost was, but not quite. And then right over here, you have Afghanistan, you have Pakistan. If I were doing the dot right here. So I got this picture um, immediately after this. I thought this would encourage you. It's a few weeks ago, as you can see, um, on the 25th of May. Now, if you look, you'll see the brothers are very well dressed for the occasion. <laughs> this man is wearing a necktie. That I've never seen before in a baptism. 
I've seen people who are too modest to even change their clothes, but not a necktie. And then the embrace. This is Pakistan, guys. And then the prayer. And that's not a thumbs up. He's just holding his hand out that way. But it might as well be. Is that encouraging to you? You see, Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people. He set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. Look how, look how God's people respond. Look at this. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. God had brought them to himself on eagle's wings, but he's brought us also on eagle's wings. He brings us in, and then he sends us out. And whether you physically relocate, we still are brought in to God, and we are to go out in our focus. Two directions, inward and outward, Godward and worldward, if I can say that. That's the message from the mountain. That's the message. Now, what did they say? How did the ancient Jews respond? Do you see it? They said yes. They said yes, but what did they do? Read the Old Testament. For very many of them, unfortunately, they said one thing, but they didn't. God asked his son to go in the field to work, and they said okay, but they never went. As it turns out in the Bible story, others really weren't that interested, but they ended up going and doing it. And so there's another great reversal. But what is our answer? What is our answer when we hear the message from the mountain? What do we say? And probably more significantly, what will we do? For our story is still being written. 